Amen. You can grab a seat. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to Veritas. My name is Ryan Ross. I have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors, and I just want to personally welcome you and let you know how grateful we are uh, that you're here this morning. When you came in, you should have received a handout with a connect card on the bottom, and so if right now, if you could go ahead and start filling that out and uh, just do us a favor, uh, fill that out, tear that off, and then after the gathering this morning, if you'll just go uh, over on the other side of this pipe and drape, we'll have a connect table over there with some people there uh, to greet you and help you get further connected and tell you a little bit more about our church. We want you to get connected here uh, and get plugged into the family here at Veritas Church. That's a great first step uh, for you to do that. Well, if you've got your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 10. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 10 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you right over there on that table. Uh, you can go grab one, and that's our gift to you uh, as a church. Uh, so my mom uh, was adopted at birth, and for the first 40 years of her life, didn't know her birth mother, but obviously always wanted to. Uh, and so a few years before her 40th birthday, she uh, went on classmates.com and put in her birth mom's information because she had her birth mom's name, uh, her graduation date, and what high school she graduated from. And so she put all that in, uh, but didn't get any information or responses or hits back um, until a few years later on her 40th birthday, uh, her birth mom called her and introduced herself, and uh, they had a long conversation. She found out she actually had a brother and a sister, and uh, from that conversation, we actually that summer went to the Outer Banks, all of us together, uh, stayed in a beach house, 17 of us, and met them and stayed with them for a week uh, at the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and uh, I know what you're thinking, like, oh my gosh, that must have been a train wreck. Uh, it actually wasn't. It was actually pretty good, and we've been able to develop a pretty good relationship with them out of that since that time. And so it's been a really, really cool deal, but uh, thinking about this text made me think about that and how kind of all of us have this longing to know where we come from, like what our history is and what we can kind of trace back and what we can know. And that's, that's really what Genesis 10 is going to help us do a little bit of this morning. Uh, this text is called by a lot of people the Table of Nations because it describes all the nations and people groups on the earth uh, at the time that it was written. Uh, and so it's going to answer this question of where we all came from, where we're all going, and why it all matters. And so let's look at this together now and see what God might have to say to us uh, from this Table of Nations and this long list of names. We're going to read through the entire chapter um, in and, and one go. Uh, starting in verse 1, the very word of God to us today speaks to us like this. It says, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphoth, Togermoth. The sons of Javan, Elishah. Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, or Put, if you're into Goth, they might have originated the masters there, uh, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, someone pointed out that if you name your kid Nimrod, uh, they're going to have to learn how to fight because of how much they're going to get picked on at school. And so our boy Nimrod knows how to throw some hands. And uh, it's kind of left up in the air as to whether this description of him is good or bad. 
uh, but I lean towards it being bad because that, that what it means for him to be a mighty man and a mighty hunter on the earth is that he is a tyrant a, a, as a king. Because look at the kingdoms that he builds in verse 10. It says, The big, beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Reason between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Kazluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. He really likes the Eam ending. Uh, Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemurites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Sheleph, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Uh, just some incredible baby names in that list, right? Uh, I'm really pushing for somebody in here to name one of their kids Arpachshad. I just think that's a baller name. Uh, just definitely don't do a sure. Uh, could you imagine the field day that kids would have with that one at school? You mispronounced that one wrong one time. It is, it is all over. All right, well, well beyond that, uh, what, what is the point of all of these names, right? Like, are, are we really about to do a whole sermon on this? Why is this even here? Well, I think this is here because God has a lot to say to us through this text. First, notice that this isn't exactly like the genealogy that we've already seen in chapter 5 or like the genealogies that we're going to see as we continue to walk through the book of Genesis where it was kind of this strict, you know, he fathered this person and they fathered this person and they fathered this person and on and on and on it goes. No, here it's much more focused on how these people spread out and become people groups and nations with their different languages and places. And so why this instead of a strict genealogy? Well, I think it's because Moses wants to show us what verse 32 said, that this is where all the peoples of the earth come from, that everybody spread out from this point, that we all share a common ancestry uh, through Noah, and then first through Adam. Now, why is that important? Well, I think it's important because every act of racism and dehumanization and prejudice that any society or person has ever committed or commits today happens when we forget this truth, uh, that we are all made in the image of God, that we all share a common ancestry, that we are all part of the human race, that we are all human beings, and what we have in common as human beings uh, is much greater than all of our differences that make us up. 
And, and when we do that, when we dehumanize, when we discriminate, when we look down on and have prejudice against other people groups, we are forgetting God's heart for the nations and the love that He has for all people. Now, maybe you noticed, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, maybe you notice that this is coming to us out of chronological order. Right, because if you're familiar, you know what's going to happen at the beginning of chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel when everybody still had one language uh, and God comes down in judgment and confuses everybody's language and scatters the people all across the earth, which obviously leads to what we have here in Genesis 10 with all these people spreading out uh, with their languages and their places. Now, once again, we've talked about this before, but Moses is not an idiot who was writing this and is like, oh, uh, I forgot to talk about how these people spread out and what led to that, and I don't have an eraser, so I'll just put that after this at the beginning of chapter 11. No, he, he did this on purpose. He put this out of chronological order on purpose, and so why did he do that? Well, he did that because if this story came after the Tower of Babel, we would be tempted to believe that the division of these nations and uh, the spreading out of peoples and all of their languages and nations is only judgment and not blessing. Uh, we would be tempted to doubt God's heart for the nations and his care and love for the nations. You see, because after this, in chapter 12, the Bible is going to zoom in on Abraham and his family uh, and, and focus on Israel really for the rest of the Old Testament. And so why does Moses take the first 11 chapters of Genesis to zoom out on all of creation and all of the people of the earth? Well, it's because God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he is the God of the nations. He loves all of these peoples, and he has a plan to bless all of these peoples. This is put here before the Tower of Babel and before Abraham so that we would know that God is not just the God of Israel. He is the God of the nations. He is the God for all peoples, and he has a plan for all peoples to bless and to save them. But, but what we do see in chapter 11 at Babel is that God does judge the nations, confuse the languages, and scatter people, and we remain further divided and scattered because of our sin. And I think all of us see this, right? Like language is a major barrier between people groups, and, and beyond just that, when in the world have we ever been able to get along? Right? The, the story of all of human history is just wars and rumors of war. Uh, we can't agree with one another. We can't unite with one another. We are divided and separated from one another. And, and no one up to this point in history has been able to reach utopia, right? No one has come who has been able to heal the division and bring people back together. But, but God's plan has always been to bless and save these nations. His plan has always been for all of the nations, and so God puts this here before the Tower of Babel and before Abraham because what he's going to do is he's going to immediately introduce us to the answer, of how, answer to the problem of why these nations are divided and how they will be healed. You see, what Genesis tells us is that Abraham is the answer as to how these nations uh, will be blessed. Listen to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, did you notice what that just said? 
that just said that God specifically chose and called Abraham specifically to be a blessing to the nations, that through him and his offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so this is the answer to the problem of the division of these nations. This is the hope. The Old Testament zooms in on Abraham and his family, what becomes the nation of Israel after this point, because Israel is the vehicle through which God is going to bless the nations. You see, God's plan from day one has always been for the nations, has always been that people from every tribe and every tongue and every language and nation would come to know him and worship around his throne. That's not just a New Testament thing. God is a missionary God. We don't make up our own mission as Christians because we're trying to figure out something to do with our lives. No, when God saves us, we step into the mission that God has been on long before we ever came onto the scene. God calls us, He chooses us, He saves us to send us into His mission and to play a part in being a blessing to the nations. And I think you see clearly, even in the book of Genesis, that Abraham and his family is going to be the answer uh, to the division of these nations, because if you count up the number of these nations in Genesis 10, uh, it adds up to 70. 70 nations. Listen to Genesis 46, verse 27, coming towards the end of the book. It says this. It says, And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. So there's 70 nations, there's 70 people in the house of Abraham by the end of the book of Genesis. These 70 nations here in Genesis 10 represent everybody on the earth at this time, all of humanity. And so Moses isn't doing this by accident. He brings out this correlation between the two to show us that Israel is functioning as a representative humanity, that through them, all of humanity is going to be blessed and saved and restored, that God is going to bless the nations through them, through this family. And and so this is the hope, but what we see all throughout the Old Testament is Abraham and his family are rarely a blessing to the nations, uh, if ever, because they're just constantly giving themselves over to idolatry and sin. Like, they're supposed to be the hope, they're supposed to be the blessing, but as you read the Old Testament, you get increasingly more pessimistic about any chance that Abraham and his family are actually going to be able to fulfill this mission. But the good news is that right alongside of Israel's repeated failures to be a light to the nations, you have just promise after promise after promise that though these nations are divided and many are separated from God, Uh, that though we exist in this state, that this division is not going to last forever, that God is going to make a way for all people to know him again. Uh, Let me run through a few of these real quickly with you. Psalm 72 is talking about a king from the line of David who will be the Messiah and the Savior. And listen to what it says in verses 8 through 11. It says, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. So when this king comes, these nations in Genesis 10 will fall down and worship and serve him. Isaiah 11 is talking about somebody who will come from the line of David, uh, will be the king, will bring a new creation and a new exodus. And listen to what verse 11 says. 
It says, in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathras, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. So when uh, this king from the line of David comes, all of these nations in Genesis 10 will, will become a part of God's people. We get to experience his salvation. If that's not clear enough, listen to Isaiah 19, 21 through 25. It says, And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So Assyria and Egypt, these enemies of God's people listed in Genesis 10, will one day become a part of God's people. We'll get to play a part in being a blessing to the rest of the earth. One more, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench, and he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. So remember, verse 5 of chapter 10 says that from Japheth's line, these coastland peoples spread out on the earth, and here we have this prophecy of a servant who's going to come, who will bring justice to the nations, and the coastlands wait for his law. Their hope is in him. In Isaiah 49, we get another song about this servant, and God says, it's too small of a thing for you to only redeem Israel, and so I'm going to make you a light to the nations so that my salvation might reach all the way to the end of the earth. And so in spite of Israel's constant failure to be a light to the nations, we have promise after promise after promise that one day uh, someone from the line of Abraham is going to come who will be faithful and will be a light to the nations. This king from the line of David, this servant will come and bless the nations and heal them and make all of these promises come true. So we have all of these promises, but as the Old Testament ends, it ends just leaving these promises still unfulfilled, leaving us still waiting for the day when these will come to pass. It leaves us with the question of who's going to come and be the king? Who's going to come and be the servant who can bless and save and heal the nations and overcome the division? Well, no surprise, you knew where this was going, right? Uh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus comes as the offspring of Abraham, the one that God made these promises about all those years ago. He comes as the king from the line of David, the servant who will come and bless the nations. And what Isaiah 53 prophesies about him comes true, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be crushed for our sins, that the punishment that brought us peace would be put on him, and that by his wounds we would be healed. His blood was not just poured out for Israel, his blood was poured out to pay for the sin of the whole world. 
You see, listen, most of us, the vast majority of us in here are not ethnically Jewish. Like we are the nations listed here in Genesis 10. We were not God's people, but through Jesus, he has brought us in. Jesus has made a way for all people to be saved and brought back to him and to know him. He has done this through his death and his resurrection, but the good news does not stop there. After Jesus dies and pays for sin and rises from the grave, he ascends into heaven. And listen to what happens in Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit on the church and people from all of these nations hear the good news in their own language. The division that started all the way back here in Genesis 10 and 11 at the Tower of Babel is overcome through the Son and the Holy Spirit working in the church. Uh, The gospel is for all people. And what we see as the book of Acts continues is that the church doesn't just stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit sends His church out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. They scatter and spread out, this time not in division and judgment, but to preach the good news to the end of the earth and unite people around Jesus. Listen, you are here, sitting here this morning in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on the other side of the earth from Jerusalem, as someone who has heard the good news and believed about Jesus, because someone over there uh, did not keep it to themselves. They went with the gospel. They scattered out to spread the good news to the ends of the earth, because they knew that God is the God of all peoples, that he's the God for all peoples, and that there is salvation in no other name under heaven except the name of Jesus Christ, and so every single person needs to know him. And this is what they did. This is God's mission for the world. This is God's goal for history. Listen to what Revelation 7 says. This is what it explicitly says. John says, after this I looked, and behold, a multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is why we live and we go on mission. This is why we want to have a church on earth that looks more like the church in heaven. Look, we we are not after diversity just for diversity's sake. Hell is going to be an incredibly diverse place. Now, we are after uh, bearing witness to this reality and seeing this reality come to pass of every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, united around the throne of Jesus, worshiping Him. 
We are after bearing witness to the fact that Jesus has died and rose to create one new man in place of the two and kill the hostility. We are here to bear witness to the fact that Jesus' gospel has the power to redeem and restore and reconcile all people everywhere, not just to God, but to one another. We're here to bear witness to the fact that Jesus has overcome the division and has made diverse peoples into one family, that He has done this. So we want a church on earth that looks more like the church in heaven. And this is also why we want to both send people to plant churches here in North America and then send people to plant churches overseas in hard places that don't have access to the gospel because God is the God of the nations. And this is what he's called us to do. And if the gospel is this good of news, why would we keep it to ourselves? And if God's goal for history is all tribes, all peoples, all languages, and all nations coming to know him and worship around his throne, then, and he's going to do that through us, he's going to accomplish that mission through his church, why would we sit on our hands? And so here's the reality I, I want to call you into this morning. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, and he was right. Listen, Jesus' last command to his disciples was to make disciples of all the nations. And, and that wasn't just a command to varsity Christians, if there even was such a thing. That's a command to every follower of Jesus. Like, this is following Jesus 101 that we are called, the mission God has called us into is to make disciples of all nations, of all peoples everywhere, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and so here's the reality. We either pray, we send, we go, or we're being disobedient. We're either praying and sending, we're going ourselves, or we're being disobedient to the mission that God has called us into. There's no middle ground there. There's no gray area. That's the reality. And listen, I know that's convicting. Like This is probably the most convicted I've been at preparing for a sermon in as long as I can remember, but I think it needs to be convicting. Because we've got to get our eyes uh, above and outside of our own lives and beyond ourselves and onto the lostness of the world all around us. Listen, yes, I'm fully aware that many of us are going to be called to stay, but even if we're called to stay, we cannot lose a heartbeat and a passion for the nations because this is God's goal for all of history and this is God's mission for His church. And so here's what I want to call you into this morning. I want to call you into taking a specific step. I want to call you into start praying for the nations, to start praying about how we as a church can send more to the nations, to start praying about how you can give more to further the advance of the gospel to the nations, to start praying about whether or not you might be called, uh, you might be being called to go to the nations. And as you pray that, I want you to wrestle through whether or not you might be the own answer, the answer to your own prayer. For example, like, what if one of you were able to help us better organize and strategize a way to send more and more people and plant more churches? Look, administrative skill like that to be able to organize and think through those things is listed as a spiritual gift in the New Testament, that that's a way you serve the church and go on mission. Or, or what if God might use a PCS or a deployment to take you to the nations? 
Like, what if God is using the military training that you're gaining right now, like the skills you're getting, the experience you're gaining, so that in a few years you can go to a hard place that has no access to the gospel and take the gospel to them? What if you are learning a language right now, not just so that you can handle yourself on a deployment, so that you could be a missionary on that deployment, and then after that deployment, so that you might be able to take the gospel uh, to people that speak that language who, who may never have heard the name of Jesus. Like Maybe God is calling you this morning to take the gospel to a place where the name of Jesus has never been heard. Man, how, how cool would that be if God called you to the nations from a text that was just a list of names? And the good news is he's more than capable of doing that because these names are not just names. They are nations made up of people in the image of God that Jesus died for, that Jesus dearly loves, people that need to hear the good news of Jesus, people that have never heard the gospel. The reality is that there are still 7,419 unreached people groups in the world. That means 3.28 billion with a B billion people who have little to no access to the gospel who have never heard the name of Jesus. It has to change. It has to. We've got to pray. We've got to give. We've got to send. We've got to go. We've got to take the gospel to them. We've got to leverage our lives so that they might hear. And then listen, in that, I don't want us to neglect the fact that increasingly God is bringing the nations to us. And the fact that there are people in your neighborhood and in your workplace and on your kids' sports teams and on uh, the gym you go to and the places you frequent that have not heard the gospel, that need to be saved by Jesus. And the reality is that making disciples of all the nations starts with us making disciples right next door. Because if we're not going to do it here, uh, what, what thing makes us think that we're magically going to start doing it over there? And this is what God is calling us to do even now. And so... If you're in the military, know this, uh, work is going to send you somewhere, and, and that's not a coincidence. God, in his great providence and irony, is going to use Uncle Sam's dime and, and taxpayers' dollars to send you somewhere where you can be a missionary to that place, to your city, to your workplace. And, and it's not an accident when he does that. Like, you are not here right now in Fayetteville at Bragg on accident. God has you here so that you could be a missionary to the people around you and to your city. This isn't a coincidence, and it's not a coincidence when God sends you somewhere else as well. And so here's what I want you to wrestle through. When PCS comes up for you, uh, and you have an option, you have a few options of where you might be able to go, and let's say one of those options is overseas to a place that doesn't have as much access to the gospel, I want, to, I want you to wrestle through whether or not God might be calling you to do that. Listen, God knows that people at Fort Polk and in Louisiana need Jesus, and, and God knows that if you get shipped to Fort Polk, you're going to need Jesus. Uh, but but, but could, you, could you consider and wrestle through, maybe God is providing this option of going overseas uh, so that we could take the gospel to a place that doesn't have as much access that might not have heard. Man, and if you're not in the military, uh, you're still called to be a missionary where God has placed you. And God has placed you in this city so that you would spread the gospel so that people here might come to know Jesus. And here's what I want you to wrestle through and consider as well. 
what if uh, God is going to send you a few years from now out of here on a church planning team that we send out of Veritas? What if, what if God is calling you to be open-handed about your job here and about your home here and, and do a hard thing and go take the gospel somewhere new so that more p- churches might be planted and more people might hear the name of Jesus and more people might be saved? Like, what if that's what God is calling you into? And as we continue to pray and dream and plan and strategize about what it means to be a church that plants churches and doesn't just talk about it, what if you might be part of the answer to that prayer? As you do a hard thing and you're willing to go and you're just willing to be open-handed and go where God might take you uh, to, so that more churches would be planted and so that the name of Jesus would be spread. Let me close us with this. If you are not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, this good news is for you. You see, the reality is that all people everywhere are sinners, including you. And that means all people everywhere need Jesus, including you. Because Jesus is not just the God of Christians or a certain tribal nation. He is the God of the entire earth. He's the God who made the heavens and the earth. He is the God of all peoples and all peoples need him. And he is the God who made a way for all people, including you, to be saved and to come and know him. And he wants to invite you into this family. He wants you to be a part of that Revelation 7, every tribe, tongue, language, and nation worshiping around his throne. That's the offer on the table for you today. Jesus has lived, died, and rose so that you would be saved. And there is salvation in no other name under heaven except the name of Jesus Christ. And so please come to him today and be saved. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this good news that uh, in a text that at first seems uh, so pointless, uh, something that we just kind of skip over in our Bible reading, uh, that Jesus, you have much to say to us here that, that this displays your heart for the nations and your plan to save the nations and bless the nations and that that has been your plan from day one. So Jesus, I pray that in this moment uh, that you might be Uh, stirring up in many of us what specific step you're calling us to do and and calling us to take and how we might step into this. And so Jesus, help us. Help us as a church to be a church that prays for the nations, that gives to further the gospel advance in the nations, that sends to the nations so that more people might hear and that goes to the nations. Jesus, help us. We want to grow in this. We want to uh, have our church even here look on earth more like your church does in heaven. We want to bear witness to your reconciling work. And so would you do that even among us even now? Would you help us in this? God, these unreached places are hard places. They're unreached because they're hard. If they weren't hard, they would have been reached already. But would you, even now, would you stir up in in some in this room a call to go to those hard places? and to spend their lives in your service so that people there who have never heard might hear the name of Jesus. God, please do it among us. Please stir it up up in us, even in this moment. I pray that you would in your name. Amen.